Well, welcome. This is uh, Rick Mercer uh, with the town of Garner, and we're here with our latest episode of the Garner's Station podcast. And we have as our guest today uh, Mr. Jeff Hicks, who uh, is on the town's Veterans Advisory Committee, also is active uh, uh, in various humanitarian um, philanthropic philanthropic causes uh, through Lutheran uh, Services Carolinas. and we're going to talk a little bit about some of these things. So, uh, so Jeff, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Rick. Um, let's start with the, the Veterans Advisory Committee. You've uh, served on that, on that committee for uh, a number of years and have even been the chair. Can you uh, talk about that? I've, I've been the chair for the four years it's been in existence. We're now just starting our fifth year. Um, a gentleman named Don Searles will become the chair this summer. The... Veterans Advisory Committee was formed when the nonprofit organization that collected the money and built the memorial finished its job. It then closed down the nonprofit and the town formed a committee with seven members plus a ex officio member of the VFW American Legion and the mayor. Yes. So there's technically 10 of us. We've had the same two town's employees with us the whole time, which is Katie Lockhart and Rob Smith is all part of the the group effort. We we know them very well. And I've been the chairman long enough, um, turning it over to Don. Excellent. And can you tell us a little bit about what what y'all do? You you obviously, you you help maintain and upkeep the memorial that's at Lake Benson Park, (coughs) but you you also do some other things, organize events and do educational work. Our our primary goal is to be the interface between the public and the town for anything to do with veterans. The obviously physical location thing is the Garner Veterans Memorial. The nonprofit, Garner Veterans Memorial nonprofit, started up the Memorial Day ceremony and the Veterans Day ceremony back in 11. And those ceremonies continue. They are now underneath the auspice of the city in their their planning aspect. We also, when a veteran is in need, a veteran contacts the town, the town turns around and contacts us. And our, how we, who we contact then is the VFW service officer or the American Legion service officer or directly to the VA. And that's the three things we will reach out to. And that's a few of us that do that. We also have one gentleman, he's a World War II, Korean War, Vietnam War veteran, Spence Caldwell. And he, went, he is the one who actually manages the tours at the memorial. He wrote the book. He qualifies all of us and he does it. He'll be out there this Memorial Day. Awesome. Yeah, I should say we're recording this just uh, a few days before uh, Memorial Day, so um, I don't know if we'll get this up uh, before then, but um, if we do, join us on, on Memorial Day starting at 1.30 at the Memorial at Lake Benson Park. Um, it's always a good service, um, and we, we appreciate what y'all do to put that together. Um, y- you mentioned, so you probably know the backstory that when the town applied to become an All-America City in 2013, one of the projects we focused on was um, building the memorial and the, and the grassroots movement behind it. Um, and we also, we also said that in coming years we envisioned that it would have an educational component where, where tours would be conducted. Um, and also that, prob- that this committee, which I think was in its sort of nascent form back then, would be able to assist with veterans' issues. You, you mentioned that um, sometimes y'all will, will uh, a veteran will come come to you, and, and then you you might refer him or her to, to services that they might need. Can, how often does that happen? And can can you talk a little more about that? Well, the most recent one was um, about two months ago. We had a referral of a homeless veteran 
here in Garner, living in a shelter with her daughter. And we took that to the American Legion as the lead with VFW as a CIS. So we all kind of worked together. Uh, we've since then been able to go through the government systems, and we've got her on SNAP benefits, and we've got her registered into the VA for medical care for herself and her unborn child, and we've got her daughter on Medicaid. This is all going through the Department of Health and Human Services up in Raleigh. Went through, we got housing voucher. We set her up in an apartment that's actually in, it's in southeast Raleigh. Just set her up in an apartment and outfitted it for her. And our last delivery of goods will be coming on uh, this coming Saturday. We're picking her up a dryer and a dresser. It's the two things we were lacking. And so that's, we, we do that kind of stuff, and we work together to do it. When there's financial impact of needing to do it, the various military organizations, veterans organizations here in town, share the cost amongst the groups. There's a total of six of us. Wow. And, and that was, you know, like I say, the, the committee, I, I think, didn't exist really in its, its completed form when we applied to become an All-America an All City, but I think that was part of the vision, and it's great to hear those stories. I don't, I don't think that a lot of the public knows that, that y'all are doing that, too. Um, that, that's, that's amazing, um, something to be very proud of. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the educational component, too. What, how has the memorial become um, kind of a focal point for educational efforts? Well, we, we, we give tours on demand at the memorial. And the, who's the on-demand groups? Our very first tour was the Garner Senior Citizens um, over here. And none of them were as old as our tour guide, Spence Cardwell. And he still hasn't given anyone a tour that's older than he is, and he's proud of that. We've had Cub Scout packs out there. We've had, we've had the Durham VA long-term care um, group out. We host a picnic once a year for them in Lake Benson. They also get a tour of our memorial while they're there. We have family groups. Just um, two weeks ago, we did a uh, award ceremony memorial service for a Korean Army MIA. And we held that there right in the memorial, right in front of the 1950 panel due to the, the Marine Corps aspect of it. And that went off very well. And so we're out there with various groups on call. And then we go out there for military holidays or veterans holidays. We're out there for the next one is Memorial Day. We'll be giving tours during that day. We'll be out there for July 3rd, and we're out there for Veterans Day. Our future plan we've got working with the city right now is to bring the Vietnam Veterans Traveling Wall exhibit here. We have town support behind that. We've got the veterans organizations. We have to man it 24 hours a day. Support, the town has to provide police and, and public works. Right? There's, 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 there's a money cost. Yeah. We've got the, and we've got a, a gentleman, Tim Stevens, who's very active in the town, who's running the fundraising ability, which we have to pay for that memorial to come here, to pay for the trucks and the people to come here. And he's running the fundraising aspect behind it. Wow. A any time frame for when that might? We were looking for next, to, about, a, about a year from now. Okay. So sometime in 2020. That's maybe, what we're looking middle, for. Middle 2020. Wow. That's and that would be right at the Garner Veterans Memorial. Uh-huh. How, right. how long does that typically stay in one location? It's, it, it stays open for the public for three days. It's a day of putting it up and a day of getting it out and three days there. Um, the most recent was at Wake Forest. Uh, it was up in Wake Forest last year. And a number of us went up to see it to understand the logistics behind it, including the town, to go see what, what, are, we, what are we getting involved in. I mean, what, what, when you talk about traveling, like how big are we talking? A couple hundred feet long, All right, so and, it, and it comes with a museum that's in a tractor trailer. Wow, wow. Well, that sounds great. That'll be a great, and that'll be a great thing for the town and um, the community. 
Um, let, let's talk a little bit about your, your particular experience. Um, you, you, I thought you'd been in the military, in the Navy for quite a while, but then we, we just talked off camera before we started, and, and you told me you were in the Navy for 32 years. Yes. From, the, from about the mid-70s through 08. So, um, first of all, can you, why the Navy? And, and why, you know, why military service at all? Um, got out of high school, was out on my own for a year, lived in a couple different states. Life wasn't very exciting. My father, my uncle, my uncle was still active duty at that time. My grandfather, his, grand, his father and grandfather had all been in the military, all in the Navy. And so I, without my parents knowing this, but I was, I was 18, so I'm allowed to, I went and joined the Navy. And then when I got to boot camp, which was in San Diego at that point in time, my, my grandfather, my, I'm sorry, my uncle, my father's brother, um, was a recruit company commander. He's the one who pushes the boots like you see in the movies. He's one of those guys. And he retired at my boot camp graduation, which is when they told me that there had been a, a member of our family in the Navy continuous since the War of 1812. And we were on both sides of that one. <laughs> I'm the last one that did it. 32 years later, that ended. Wow. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, and, and you were a, a, a commander, and you tried to explain to me some of the, the levels, but, but you were, you were a, a commander. At a, can you explain the, the level that, that you were at and, and sort of what that involved? Uh, a, a commander is a mid-grade officer. Yeah. Um, I joined for 32 years. You can't do that by the way the rules are set up. I joined as an enlisted. I was on submarines for 14 years as an electrician's mate. I commissioned, and my commissioning source, I had to become a line officer, which means drive a plane, drive a ship, or drive a sub. So I drove a ship for five years. I don't drive it, but the generic aspect of it. So I was on a ship for five years. Great group of people. Living conditions were so much better than submarines. But at the end of the five years, I was able to then transfer to a staff officer assignment which I went into the CBs, which are naval construction. And my college education is in engineering. And so then I was a CB for another 13 years. Being an officer then for a total of 18 years, the expected rank you would be retiring or getting out at is, is 05 or commander. Yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, it seems like, a, I don't know if this is a silly question, but, but, you know, how did the Navy shape you? You know, what... What, what do you think are the value, the most important values that it, it instilled in you? Well, um, you need a haircut, Rick. I know, I do. Let's, I do. Let's just, let's <laughs> Clearly, just, I do. Let's just go and with I that one. I thought about that this morning. I probably should have done that. And the guys all out. Last I, week. Before, I, uh, I had my hair on my shoulders and a long beard just a few weeks ago. So I'll do that. I, can. Um, I, I joined the military as an 18-year-old. I, you don't know anything. I, I get out as a 50-year-old. You know, you grow up. Yeah. So did the military shape me? I'm sure it did. But... More so, I just grew up yeah. in all that time frame. Uh, discipline, timeliness, those are military traits. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you that. But the rest of it's just experiences and growing up. Yeah. So, you know, we, we think of the Navy, we think about um, people, sailors being on ships and in submarines, but a lot of, a lot of Navy service is, is on the land, well, and in, in the air, too. And, and you, you, you did quite a quite a bit of your service actually on land, right, in, in various parts of the world. Can you talk about that? Yes. My, my last 13 years in the military, I was land-based. And of those 13 years, 11 of them were, 11 of the last 13 were with Army units, not with Navy units on land. 
mostly in Africa, Iraq, and Afghanistan. Okay. Um, then it's just you're, you're doing your job, except that there's the sky and yeah. better food. <laughs> and some of these places must have been, I mean, they must have been combat or hostile environments. Is that? Sure, yes. I, I, I served in Iraq, did three tours in Iraq, about three and a half years. Spent five years in Afghanistan between being a military and, and being a civilian contractor for construction in Afghanistan. Did over a year in command in Africa. Where, um, where in Africa? Uh, Sahara Occidental. It'd be, uh, it'd be Oregon if it was the United States. Yeah. Kind of over there. Okay. It's not a very well-known country. And between there and Algeria and Mauritania right. was where my group was. Yeah. I was in Chad for a, on a reporting assignment and was surprised to, uh, to come across. There were U.S., um, I think, Army people there uh, doing training. We have, we have military throughout Africa. Uh, we have, an, we have a, a component command called AFRICOM that is actually stationed in Germany for the headquarters because they don't need to be in Africa, but they've got mostly special forces members throughout Africa and working training sites and assistance. Um, and so you were, you were in Afghanistan for a while, as you said, both as, a, as, as Navy, but also as a civilian contractor. Yes. So what, what were you doing, if you can speak, uh, what were you doing as a civilian contractor? Side? Construction. Con- construction. Okay. Um, my, my clients were the Department of Defense, specifically Department of Air Force, yeah. um, would be the more specific, the Air Force Service. The Army Corps of Engineers, the Department of State, and NATO. We did not contract through into the local governments because of the lack of ability to pay. There's a lot of rule of law issues in other countries. So we did U.S. or, or con- company, countries or a company or organizations we knew we could understand and built uh, facilities for both American or NATO forces or we built facilities for the local forces. And that was the majority of our work was building for the local forces, starting from nothing and building up an infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So... You know, going to these different parts of the world that are very different than here. Um, kind of, what, what, do you, what did you take away from that? Like, what, you know, what did you take away from the, your time in Afghanistan? Um, well, there is, there is a, it's a country that's been at war for decades. They know nothing but war. There's a lot of poverty, and there's a lot of riches, and a very stark divide between the two. The, uh, that person on the street... Not the one trying to kill you, but just that person on the street that's selling oranges. He wants the same thing we want. He wants to provide for his family. He wants to survive. He wants to get his, have his children do better than he does. Um, that's, there's, that's no different than us. The uh, all dirt roads and bad air, that's, we're, we're very lucky here. This is a very modern country with a lot of amenities that others don't have. And so, you know, it, it, it sounds like what, you know, you're saying that through this exposure to other parts of the world, it, it kind of helps you develop a sort of empathy and understanding of how people are different, but also like, like us and, and what they want for themselves and their children. And, and uh, you know, you're able to kind of put yourself in, in their shoes to some extent. Um, and so you, you come back here in 2013. You settle. When did you settle in Garner? Right, I, I retired right. from the military at eight out of Europe. Yeah. And actually, I was in Iraq and my wife was in Europe. And we, where do you want to go back to the States? And she knew I was going to go work overseas. So she said, I want to go where our oldest children are because we're going to get grandkids. And she's right. We've got three from that, that side of the family right there already. They're, they're here in Garner. 
So she made the right decision. I went over and worked for another five years and then came back. And so I came back in 13 and then, then became active in the community and working here. All right. And so being active in, in the community, then I sort of I want to turn to um, your work with Lutheran Services Carolinas. And um, can you talk about that? And, and you've, you've focused largely, I know, on um, refugee assistance, resettlement. Um, can you tell us about some of that work? I can. Um, and one of, one of the things I give back to the community, I guess is the way to say it, is, is LSC. And they're under a contract, six nonprofits under a contract with the U.S. government to settle refugees that are brought in. Uh, refugees aren't, the people walking across our southern border are not refugees. They're migrants. And then there's people who, who move here legally are, are immigrants. And they're all become, kind of become a big umbrella called an immigrant. Refugees are people who are in a third country, undocumented, and they're in, a, they're in a UN refugee camp. Many of them for years, some of them for decades. Our, depends on what country they're coming from, are Congolese refugees, uh, the, Depart- the Democratic Republic of Congo, are generally in Tanzania or Kenya. Their average stay there is about 20 years. Their children were all born in the refugee camps. They're there, they, they apply to immigrate somewhere. They apply to many countries to immigrate somewhere. They get accepted by some country who has a quota for so many from that nationality. They get vetted, and they come. That's when they, if they get accepted by America versus French, that's when the father will start learning English versus learning French. The uh, refugees that came out of the Syrian war, when President Obama said we're going to bring in 10,000 Syrians, he literally did. They brought in 10,000 Syrians that year. That rule does come from the president through the executive branch of the State Department. They were less time in a refugee camp because that war had only been going on at that point in time for five years. So they were quicker coming to us than the others. But our, our, who we get are the people who are fleeing war. Uh, we get the Rohingya out of Myanmar, which when I was a kid was called Burma. Right, yeah. Um, because the, the Buddhists chased the Muslims out. We get the Sunnis in Syria because the Shias chased them out. We get that. It's just like that across the different groups. Who are we getting are the ones that got chased out? We're seeing a, a lot of different refugee group, groups coming to the Triangle area. Um, you know, the Rohingya from, from Myanmar, Sunnis from Iraq. Can, can you talk about some of the experiences you've had with different groups? And, and you know, are, are any of these folks locating or relocating in Garner? Um, <coughs> who, who comes is based upon the, the president telling the State Department of how many per year. Going into the last two years of President Obama's presidency, he took the standard number of 30,000 a year coming in, and he jumped it to 60,000 in 15, and to 120,000 in 16. Then President Trump came in and it dropped back down. During that real big spike, Syrians were a real big part of it because of the 10,000 Syrians coming. Now, why does somebody come to the Triangle? If they have a connection with family members or friends or something in a community in the U.S., they ask to go there. And if it's possible, they do that, especially with it's family, which is why there's such heavy concentrations of refugees of certain nationalities in certain parts of the country, Minneapolis being one, San Francisco being one, Washington, D.C. being one. Raleigh really doesn't have a concentration of any particular. We're not a heavy concentrated refugee area. During the peak of the end of Obama's presidency, we brought in uh, 220 into the Triangle area that year in 16. That was our peak. Um, 
a year later we're down about 70. In the time I've been working with them since 14, we've only had one family come to Garner and they're actually not a refugee. There's different kinds of immigrants. They come through the same system, it looks like a refugee, but it's called a special immigrant visa, SIV. And those are for people in Afghanistan and Iraq only who work for the Americans and because they work for us, their lives are in danger. They can apply for a special SIV visa and then they, they come in expedite. They've already been background checked. They worked for us. They have, to be, so they have to be supported by letters from whoever they worked for attesting to them. They then also go to where they want to go, typically whether it's family, a connection, or somebody who's sponsoring them coming in. I got started in this program when I worked in Afghanistan. After I left, a family that worked for me wanted to come here. Since then, I've, brought, I've helped bring three, three family units of that same family they're all up in Wake Forest because they had family up there. And they're all doing very well. They're one of two refugee families in the last five years that I know of that have bought property and own a house. That's, that's a great success story. The, uh, uh, the one we have in Garner is also an SIV. So he's somebody here in Garner, knew him in Iraq, he's Iraqi, and brought him and his family here and support them. Wow. Wow. Well, I mean, and the, you know, the challenges are vast, I'm, I'm sure, but what... You know, what are, the, what are some of the things that a, that a refugee family has to, to deal with? That, you know, you suddenly find yourself in Raleigh or greater Raleigh, North Carolina. What, you know, what do you do? The, the biggest issue for them is language. So it depends on where they came from and, and who they are, so what language ability they have. Um, the SIVs, if they work for us, they all speak English. So they all come in up there. They also, as, a, as working for us, they had money, so they're not coming from poor. They're coming from actually having some minor wealth where they're coming from. Um, we get some refugees in that are quite educated. We get some in that have absolutely no English whatsoever. Those are the ones that require the most help. Um, another big issue is in most countries that are not first world, men and women are, are treated differently in society. So the, the family will come and there'll be a man and a wife and some children and the man may have taken English for two years, the wife hasn't taken it at all. And the children may, may or may not have. But the woman never expects to go out of the house. The next generation will. These little, these little kids come in and they go into our school system, and they don't just speak English in a year, they speak English with a southern accent in a year. It, they're that quick. The adults are much more difficult. Yeah. Hmm. What? Well, uh- what, what is it, I mean, I'm sure you probably have some personal views, and I, I don't mean to get into the politics of it, but, you know, it just seems so important to who we are as a country that, that we do have open arms for, for, for families, for people who are in, in such dire situations. I mean, did, is that something you came to appreciate more, or, you know, having seen and met and gotten to know a lot of these people overseas and places like Afghanistan? Well, it definitely gives me the empathy of what they're trying to get to. The, I never worked in a refugee camp in Iraq, Afghanistan. I did work in refugee camps in Tindouf, Algeria, as part of my area of operations in Africa, and saw the conditions they were in. I've also never known of any of the Sahawari migrating to the U.S. out of the immigration. They're going somewhere else. They're not coming here. And there's many different nationalities and, and, and um, refugee camps. When the State Department says, okay, we're going to take... 10,000 Syrians, we're going to take 20,000 Congolese, we're going to take 5,000 5, Rohingya. There really are those numbers. Now, whether they get to that number or not, there's always a push towards the end of the fiscal year. 
because it's been authorized. They've got to actually get there and do it. I mean, we talked about empathy and, um, uh, you know, I guess circling back to to veterans and and what, you know, some of the local organizations do to to support people who, you know, may be struggling. Um, You know, can you talk about what, like, the the, the VFW and the Legion are doing and the the support network (laughs) that they offer? Well, there's, there's six different veterans organizations in the town of Garner. The two that are well-known are the American Legion and the, v- the Veterans of Foreign War of VFW. Yeah. The Veterans of Foreign War has an auxiliary, so those are not combat veterans. The American Legion has an auxiliary. They have the Sons of American Legion, and then they have a Legion riders, the motorcycle guys. We have our events here in town. The guys on the motorcycles are part of that group. Those six organizations are all separately financial and meeting-wise. We, um, our routine things we do is every... One month, we go visit the four rest homes here in Garner. We, we track who all the veterans are. We pre-check who they are. We go out and visit them. We bring them a treat. We chat with them, bring them magazines. Sometimes we bring them to our meetings if they have the ability to and desire to do it. The other month, we go out to the Durham VA Hospital to the, long, the TLC, Long-Term Care, which is the rest home in the VA hospital. And we, we go out, and we, we have an ice cream social. We play bingo. Um, we bring them here once a year to... Um, uh, Lake Benson Park down to the big gazebo because they're all in wheelchairs, so we need only we don't put two people at a table on an end. So they bring them by bus, and we bring a bunch of people, and we all get together. That's when that's do you what, do that? What time of year? Well, uh, in, it generally it has. It was fall last year. It was we were going to do it in Falls Lake, and then it rained us out from the, the flooding from the yeah. second hurricane. So we went to Garner, and we're just going to do Garner from now on. Yeah. At Christmas time. One of, our, one of our members, Don Searles, organizes what we call shoebox for vets. They're actually not shoeboxes, but they are shaped like one. And we, we gather up toiletries and presents for male and female veterans. The town gives us a grant in their budget to fund this project. And then the Garner Senior Center is one who actually builds the boxes and wraps them for us. And then we distribute them to the four rest homes, to the Durham VA, and then to all the veterans that are on the Meal for Wheels program. And that ends up running about 200 veterans we set up for and do every fall. And that's a big project all held out of Don Searles' garage. Wow, that's terrific. I didn't know about that one either. Um. Obviously, we, uh, we go to the park for events. Our next event is Memorial Day. That is the 27th of May. It's at 1.30. The American Legion will be um, giving away free hot dogs, chips, and water in advance of it going to be hot so it's always hot which is why over the years we have moved the location from the right in front of the garner veterans memorial we've all shifted back underneath the trees uh, yeah it's exactly that's why a, we did that's a good that was a good decision um i'm sure you, you know these numbers as well as i do uh i read in preparation for this that only about or fewer than 10 percent of all living americans have served in a branch of the military at, at some point in their lives and, uh, of course, currently only, you know, well, less than 1% are, are active military. Do you, think, do you think that has created a bit of a disconnect between people who are veterans and, and most of us who, who are not? Um, not having the draft, yeah. which means you have to choose to join versus you have to go. That's what's created the, the schism between the two groups. And the last number we heard, because we get these numbers in our meetings all the time, was 7% have served. The most, the most 
the largest group of people who have served that are veterans right now, what they call the Gulf War. The Gulf War still continues today. That, that, that category of people yeah. continues to today. They surpassed the Vietnam veterans about four years ago. And of course, then Korea, World War II, going much smaller and much smaller. The, um, we have those numbers, but I have, in Garner, people thank me for being a veteran. There's no problem for a veteran in Garner. We're a small town community. I think you're going to get a different view of that if you go to a, uh, a very urban environment. And the, the, the military draws more from the rural than they do from the urban. You look at the numbers of politicians in the, in the 70s, 80% of congressmen and senators were veterans. That number is now down less than 20%, and it's going down. So, yes, there, there, there is a growing divide between them. There absolutely is. There's still support for veterans, but there's a, there is a growing divide of who does it. And it tends to be that a family that has a veteran and it produces more recruits and more future veterans. I, I mean, you say that, there, that there's still support for veterans. Certainly people talk the talk, but, I mean, do you think that, you know, what... what in what areas do you think that, that veterans need more support, whether it's mental health services or you know, oh, me, any, any specifics? Let me give you a, 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 a what, what do we need more help in and what do we do well at? Yeah, what, do yeah. we need, what do we need more help in? It's probably the mental health aspect, and that's not so much as there being a doctor for the mental health. It's a matter of outreach to veterans to get them to seek out mental health. We have a VA, people that are on the VA medical system over there at the uh, Wake Med emergency room on 70. You can go visit that. You can, there's a VA office in there you can go visit for health care. There's also VA offices in Raleigh. You don't have to go just to Durham except for surgery. The big things. One of, two of our guys just had a cataract surgery. That's Durham. You go to for that. But there's smaller offices all around the area. There is a state VA office that's right here off of Avisboro Road, just past Davisboro Coffee Shop on Belrus. I don't know if I'm pronouncing the right, road name right. So this is Private Street. And Reggie's down there, and he's a state-level Veterans Affairs assistant. There's, there's always more help, but if a veteran wants help, he can get it, or she can get it. A large part of it is knowing how to do it and getting them to go do it, like us helping a, a veteran here recently, a young veteran here recently. It's getting them to go forward to do it. And was it the case that, that, that she was not a, aware of the services that were available to her? It was... It was, it was the too hard category of how to get to it. I don't know how to do it, so how do I do it? Yeah. Well, you get, to the, you get to our organizations, we have the people who know exactly how to do it, who to call up, how to make an appointment, where to go, what paperwork do you need. If you don't have the paperwork, here's how we get the paperwork, and we help. And that's, that's what we do. Yeah. So, so instead of someone thinking, oh, it's, it's the dealing with the bureaucracy, it's so overwhelming, where do I start? I'm just not going to deal they could just come to you. They could come to the. They could go to the, the office uh, off of Aversboro, and, and he'll, he'll point you to and, the right and place. Folks will point yep. you to the right place. The VA hospital is uh, a lot of their doctors and nurses are out of Duke University, which is right there. Yeah. They practice in the VA hospital. So the friend of mine who just got cataract surgery was a Duke um, ophthalmologist that did it. Um, that the care out there seems to be very good. The place is clean. It's new. Friendly. Now, let me go to a let me go to a positive. So, so let's so, go to yeah. a positive aspect. What, so what do we do about well about and... about once a month? We get a call that a veteran, or possibly the spouse of a veteran, a member, a member of a veteran's family, needs a handicap ramp. Here in Garner, just here in the town, 
we can go over to Home Depot and Home Depot donates the materials to us for us to go build it. If we need technical help, they would come help us. Generally we don't, but if we have people that will come help us, we need technical help for what we are doing or our drawings or that we're code. But we get that help routinely. We just did another one of these within the last month. Um, if you are a member of VA Medical Care, you get the metal ones that are pre-made put out by the VA for you. But if you're not underneath the VA Medical Care system, you don't. And that's where we step in. So we got, we got great support from local businesses like that. Wow, that's terrific to know. Ace Hardware over on 50 donates us for flags that we put out for the events. Yep. Right now there's 60, uh, 66, 66 of them yeah. around Lake Benson Park with dog tags for the 66 men's whose name are on the memorial for who died in combat that are from Garner. Yeah. And that was just put up by a group. Yeah. Um, uh, that's great. Before we, you know, before we sign off, are, are, there, are there other things that, that we should talk about? Um, th things we do, or things the community does well, and things wet that maybe we could do better? Well, the town, the town definitely supports us here locally. Our little local group, the town supports us. The, uh, the people of the area support us. Um, I was going to say, if anybody has a veteran in their family, and the veteran looks like they need help or needs to seek out help, contact us, refer them to us, and we will help them get to where they need to go. When you say us, is there... American Legion or VFW, either okay. one. The okay. VFW is located on Garner Road, just past Angie's, going northwest, and it's, it's a bar, yeah. so it's open seven days a week. And you can also look up on the website and call the number. The American Legion meets in the Masonic Lodge on Main Street, but you can look us up online and there is a phone number. And you can contact us by phone, by Facebook, by email. Excellent. Great. Thank, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, anything else before we can sign off, before we sign off? I think we're good. All right, great. Well, it, it's been great having you, Jeff. Thank you for t carving out some time for us, and we appreciate all that, all that you do. Thank you for listening to us. Yeah, thank okay. you. Bye. Take care. Awesome, guys. <clears throat> good. That was uh, 35 minutes roundabout.